Well, all right. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go Luke chapter 7. Uh, make your way about two-thirds into the Bible, and then you'll find uh, a book called Matthew. And then uh, once you hit Matthew, just keep going. Then you'll find another book named Luke. Uh, so if you hit uh, Mark, you went too far, right? Go, go the other way. So, so we are in chapter 7 of the Gospel of Luke, and, and what we're trying to explore is, is a complete view of, of who Jesus is, a complete view of, of what Jesus has done, and then, and then how that affects our lives. Like, how, how do we get to live in the light of the movement of Jesus? And now, I think it's important as we talk about that to come back regularly in our journey through this Gospel uh, and, and remember the context of why it's written. Uh, Luke didn't sit down and say, you know, I think in a couple thousand years, I want somebody to read something that I wrote. Uh, in fact, he, I don't think he set out to write a book of the Bible um, because there really wasn't the canon put together outside of the Old Testament. And so so when he's writing and we can go back and we can see this in chapter one, uh, when Luke is writing this letter, he he's investigating what they have heard about Jesus, and he's essentially writing a letter to a guy named Theophilus. Uh, in fact, he's writing so that uh, they may have certainty concerning the things that, that he's been taught. And, and so, so Luke goes and he investigates these stories, and he, he tries to hear these eyewitness accounts about the movement and the, the abilities of Jesus, and and by doing so, we prayerfully get to have a, a clearer view of, of who Jesus is. And, and now, here's the thing, that, that's everything we do here at Merge is about making Jesus known, right? All of our desire, all of our prayers, all of our acts of service, all the words that we speak are so that those who are far from God can find life in Jesus. And that, that is so very important, and as we get to do that, uh, what what really we want the testimony of our lives to be is that uh, Jesus is the Savior and Lord of our lives, who we cherish as the King of our hearts. Uh, that because of who He is, He has changed everything about us. And, and what we find in chapter seven is this this gift uh, to to explore. Really, if, if we, I'm sorry, if we think of chapter 7 as like a, like a season of a television show, uh, what we have are these singular episodes that give us a view of who Jesus is, and it's been building toward a series, a season finale. Uh, so that we get to see the culmination of all these things. And prayerfully, that's what we're gonna see this morning. That, that we watch a season, and then at the finale, we're like, ah, okay. This makes better sense now. And, and so far what we've done is, as we've walked in and we've seen Jesus really amazed, uh, with the faith of a centurion as the centurion looks in open and says, says, I understand your authority. Uh, and, and if you will just speak the word, these things can happen. And then, uh, we, we've seen Jesus moved by the grief of a widow as, as he walks upon her funeral, the funeral service of her son, uh, and then ends it by saying, Hey, um, we're not going to be dead at the end of this day. So son, come on, come back to life, right? Uh, and then, 
We wrestled uh, really the last two weeks in in this scene where John the Baptist sends some of his guys and he says, are you the one or shall we wait? Shall we continue to wait? Are you the one that I can trust my life with? And and we gave John a lot of grace, right? Uh, because as he's asking that question, life isn't turning out exactly the way he thought. In fact, not even exactly. Life is not turning out good considering he's in the cell of a prison. And so that followed us as the disciples left last week. And, uh, and Jesus looks at the crowd and says, I don't want you to be confused about this guy named John because he's significant. Uh, in fact, he's a major player in the story of God. And then, then brilliantly, the way Jesus does things, he turns that endorsement of John into this conversation of, of the conflict that rests between pride and grace. And before you know it, the crowd is sitting there saying, okay, what is, what is going on in, in my own heart? And, and each week, uh, as we've been watching this season unfold, uh, what we've been able to do is get this bigger picture uh, that's being framed about who Jesus is. And, and we've, we've said it this way. We've said that Jesus is a Lord who's amazed by faith. He's a, a prophet who's moved by grief. He's a Messiah uh, who answers our doubt. He's a king who exalts the lowly. And where we've arrived at, the, at our season finale today uh, is going to be the culmination of those things because we find that ultimately what this leads to is that He's a Savior who saves the biggest sinners. Okay? Uh, that's what we get to celebrate each and every moment if you are found in Jesus Christ. That He is a Savior who saves the biggest sinners. So we don't have to debate on how big does the sin need to be for Jesus not to forgive it. And we're going to see that played out. And we'll start in verse uh, 36 uh, today uh, where it says this. It says, one of the Pharisees, alright, so just one of them. Right? One of the Pharisees asked Jesus, him, to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and, uh, and this took place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, right? Uh, it's interesting that Luke's going to point this out, because this is going to show up over and over again. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and, and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Uh, which is one of our favorite words to say out loud, right? Everybody loves ointment, right? Just, it flows off the tongue, right? And so, so, so as we see this scene unfold, let's, let's talk about the two characters that are new to our season, okay? Uh, and we'll, we'll see them both um, respectively. So, so the, first see, the first character that we see is, is the Pharisee, okay? Now let's remember, it's easy for us to read the Bible and, and look at the Pharisees as the enemies of Jesus, uh, and rightfully so. They, they were not fans of them. Uh, but in the context of this setting, as this story is being told, this was, this was a man who is religious, he is devoted, he is serious about sin, he's serious about 
holiness. In fact, a lot of us would look up to the Pharisees uh, and we would say, man, they, they, they get it. They get it. In fact, he's serious about morality and, and immorality. And, and now what we don't know at this point are his motives. Because all we know is that he's invited Jesus to come have dinner. And so, so his motives are, are really, we'll find out. We don't know at this point if he's taken a risk. Uh, by inviting Jesus. When we, we go to John chapter 3, uh, there's another famous Pharisee named Nicodemus, uh, and he has this very honest conversation with Jesus about, about who he is and what he's done. And so, so we don't know if this guy is Nic, like, like a Nicodemus or if he's just inviting Jesus to dinner so that he could trap him in a conversation because that, that was a typical thing that the Pharisees would do. They would say, hey, let's have a conversation with Jesus and see if we can... Uh, get him to say something that, that's blasphemous uh, so that we can arrest him. Because again, as you walk through each one of the Gospels, you see this, this interaction between Jesus and the church where the leaders will first just say, hey, I just want this guy to shut up, to I don't like this guy at all, to hey, let's kill this guy. All right, that's the progression we find as we read the Gospels. And so, so at this point, we don't know what this Pharisee is really doing other than he's inviting Jesus to come uh, to dinner. Now, what's not uncommon in this scene is that uh, when a dignitary would have a feast like this, uh, you would have people, and just imagine this at your house, like you're inviting someone special to your house, uh, and then like the neighborhood just comes and watches through the window. Uh, so it was not uncommon, right? You're like, I don't, yeah, this is why we have shades, right? Uh, and so, so it was not uncommon for the town to kind of gather to look in uh, like the red carpet and say, well, who's there? Uh, and they're, they're paying attention to this scene. And now, now enters our second character, the woman. Okay, now, now here's what we know about her, that, that she lives in the city. She knows about the Pharisees. She knows her reputation. She knows that she would not be welcomed, but she has heard about Jesus. She heard that he is in her town, and all of a sudden he becomes reachable. And so, so she knows something that, and although, although now I want you to pay attention to this, because I think, I think it's beautiful. This woman will not speak a word in this scene. And yet her actions echo into this room right now. Okay? So, so she knows something. And as we talk about her, I think there, as we try to figure out what, what were her motives and what is she doing, I think this takes an incredible amount of courage I think this takes an incredible amount of hope or, or desperation or, or, or brokenness because she knew she was a sinner better than anyone else did. Okay? Like Luke points it out. Uh, a woman came in. She was a sinner, by the way. And so, so maybe, maybe when she walks in and she sees Jesus reclining at table, and basically uh, the, the way that that would look is imagine we have a, a table down here and it's a low table. They would recline at the table and their feet would lean outward. 
Okay? Uh, and so, so she sees Jesus reclining at the table, and she has this alabaster jar, right? Of, of, and it's a, it's a perfume. It's an expensive perfume. And so she brings what we would think of as being her very best offering. And she comes to the table, and it's unclear at this moment what she was planning on doing with this ointment. Right? I'm going to try to say ointment like a zillion times today because I know some of you just hate the sound of it. Um, so she, it's unclear what she wants to do, but we do know this. As she walks up, she sees his feet. Now, I don't know when she started to cry, but apparently in her brokenness or in her joy, there were enough tears to wash the feet of Jesus. Okay? Enough Enough liquid to come in and to wash his feet. And she cries. And then, and then she does something that, that Jewish women didn't do in public. She, she undid the tresses of her hair. And then she began to wipe the feet. Now, now Jesus doesn't typically wear you know, a new pair of Nikes in this time. Uh, and so, so it was customary. And we're going to find out that the Pharisee, and I think this kind of reveals some of his motives, the Pharise- it was customary that when you had a guest come in your house, that you would wash his feet. And here we find in this scene, this woman comes upon Jesus and realizes he was not given this courtesy. And so she begins to, to wash his feet and then dry his feet with her hair. I think that's an indication of her love for him. And then she begins to worship and kiss his feet. And though we don't really know all of her motives, we can infer, and this is what we're going to find, is that that her sin has something to do with her desire to be in front of Jesus today. Okay, And we can infer that because uh, from this point forward, that's what Jesus is going to talk about. That's what Jesus is going to be doing. And so, so we don't know much about her heart, but we are going to find something out about the Pharisee's heart. And this is where we go in verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, okay? So as he saw this woman at Jesus' feet, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. I would, I would have loved to be the fly on the wall in this room. Because as I've read this over the last couple of weeks, there, I, I don't know the way Jesus said it to him, and I don't know the way he responded to it. Right? I don't know if this is combative. I don't know if this is um, uh, inquisitive. I, I don't know. I don't know how Jesus spoke it to him, so I don't know how he responds. But, but here's what we do know, that, that to, the, to Simon, the Pharisee, holy men don't allow themselves to be touched by sinners, or at least that's the way they believed. And then, they, then he knew this, that, that a prophet could tell the difference between a sinner and and a saint, and if uh, Jesus was willing to allow this woman to touch him, then, then clearly he wasn't a prophet, and he didn't know what he was doing. And then, then the, so, so the Pharisee's problem was that his heart was so hardened against sinful people that he lost his capacity to rejoice at the repentance of a sinner. His heart wasn't for them. 
And, and I love what happens because, because this, is, this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do for you in your life. If you are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit will do this. Jesus sees the Pharisee having this conversation in his mind and he breaks the silence by calling him by name. That's what he does. Simon. Right here, right here, right here, bub. Right here. I have something I want to say to you. <laughs> this is where we pick up. Because Simon says, say it, teach. It says in verse 41, Jesus says, A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, um, Michael, just to help you, um, 500 is a lot more than 50. All right? When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Okay? Now, and this is the question that Jesus is asking Simon, now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says to Simon, you have judged rightly. Okay? So again, remember, the Pharisee's problem was that he had hardened his heart so much against sinful people that he's lost his capacity to rejoice at the repentance of, of a sinner. He was caught up in his own self-righteousness that he couldn't bear that others would be forgiven or even in his presence, let alone Jesus' presence. And so, so, so the church, I think we can be guilty of this if we're not careful. Okay, I think we can be guilty of, of seeing people that we deem less than worthy. And maybe out of our jealousy or, or maybe out of our spite or maybe just out of our own cynicism, uh, we struggle with the celebration that, that it says that the heavens have when, when a sinner repents. Okay, you get that. There's parties, literally there are parties in heaven when sinners repent. But here in this moment, the guy who is representing God, the Pharisee, who walks and tells people, this is what God wants from your life. He sees a woman in her brokenness. And in an act of worship, and his heart is hardened toward her. But, but Jesus understood something. And I think this is so helpful. That, that the more this woman has sinned, that the more this, the sin this woman has committed, the more grace she needed. And the more grace she received, the more love she felt. Because Jesus is a Savior who saves the biggest sinners. He is. In fact, uh, the, the late R.C. Sproul, uh, incredible pastor, incredible expositor of the Bible, he said this, he said, My whole experience with the Gospel of Jesus is an experience of forgiveness. Since the more we understand how great our forgiveness has been, the more spontaneous our love for Christ should be. That is why it's important from time to time to remember the day of our salvation, uh, to remember who we are and remember that, that all we have and all we enjoy is the result of the mercy of God. If we can grasp this point, then our obedience will be motivated not by a sense of duty, uh, but by gratitude and a love that flows out of a heart that has known forgiveness. And this is where this, this lady has, has approached Jesus. She needs to be forgiven. She knows this. She knows 
her sin is the issue. And so this is where we're going to pick it up because Simon has said, you know, the one who has canceled the larger debt, which I think is great, right? I think that makes sense. It says you've, you've judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, okay, let's just stop there. Let that scene be painted in our mind because everything that Jesus is about to say, he does so while looking straight at this woman. Okay? It's as if he's like, hey, I'm going to talk to both of these people at the same time. And one, in the same words, in the same words, I'm going to expose one and I'm going to comfort the other. Alright? So check out, check out how he does this. It's beautiful. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now again, it was common when you would walk into a house, you would be greeted with a kiss. But yet the Pharisee Simon doesn't do this. You did not anoint my head with oil. Okay, now it was customary to do that. Because as you walked on dirty streets, you would be, need, this is how they refresh themselves. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, okay, this is beautiful. Therefore I tell you, her sins, and now watch what he says, which are many. And we're like, oh, that's uncomfortable, Jesus. But it's not. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, he said to her, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And I, loved it. I love this scene because Jesus exposes one and he brings comfort to the other, and I think this is where her motivation for being in the presence of Jesus is revealed. Because, and I would like to think, I don't, again, we don't know much about her theology. All we know is that she was known as a sinner. Uh, we don't know about restless nights that she may have had or may not have had. But, but I would like to think that as she enters uh, this room, she is fully aware of her sin because that's what Jesus wants to deal with the most in her life. That she's fully aware of her reputation. And, 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 and she knows that the town knows of her failures, but the town doesn't know of her failures as well as she did. You ever been there? She knew the pain and she knew the brokenness of life apart from the mercy of God. And here she seems to be desperate for it. She knew her debt. And so she brings what I would assume is the most expensive possession she had. And then she sees Jesus. I would like to think that she was nervous. That she had butterflies to the point where her stomach was hurting. And she sees Jesus and in His presence the avalanche of emotions just flood out. She doesn't talk to him, does she? She just says, I, I just want to be at his feet. I just, I just want to be at his feet. 
So she knows this. And I would like to think that in this moment, she knows that Jesus is a Savior who forgives the biggest sinner. She, Jesus could remove, she, she would think this, that Jesus could remove her guilt and her shame, that Jesus could give her a new heart and a new future and a new purpose. And, and the more she remembers her sin, all of a sudden, Jesus, the greater that Jesus appears. And, and the more she weeps over her sin, the more she delights in her Savior, that she can rise up. She can be a new creature. A new, new creature. She, doesn't, she doesn't have to live in the moment of her sin. She doesn't have to live in the, the animosity of people's views. She doesn't have to live in the disdain of the Pharisees' uh, eyes that they have for her she doesn't have to live there anymore she can she can rise up and the beauty of what jesus has just said is that the biggest of sinners can be saved and the little ones too you get that right it says both it says both can be forgiven of their sins and i love it because this illustration is on point that that i value and the issue with the Pharisees says that I value my stature more than I value you as a person. And so, so both, both can be forgiven. And so, so here's what that does for us. Okay? It means we don't have to evaluate the mercy of God in other people's lives. You with we don't have to say, well, he was, he was, he's a real dirtbag, so, you know, God really shouldn't save him. We don't, we, don't get it, we don't have to evaluate that. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know about you because I know this about me. I can always find someone that I think I'm better than. And I can always find someone that I think I'm worse than. And the beauty of the gospel is that everybody gets to come to the table. Everybody. So, so to, to be a sinner, to be a big sinner, I'll say it this way, to be a big sinner is not the worst thing. It's a bad thing, but it's not the worst thing. To be a big sinner who refuses to ask for forgiveness through faith in Jesus is. I know, that's an amen from a kid right there. That, that, hear, me, hear me when I say this. You, you can... Recover from a sinful past. You, you can do that. I mean, you are, you are in a room full of people like that. Okay? And we could. We could, if you are in Jesus, we could spend some time, we could circle up, and we could all compete on who was the bigger sinner before they met Jesus. We could do that. But you can recover from that, but there's no recovery from God's judgment against sin. There isn't. He says, when I bring my judgment, you can't recover from it unless you know my son. So you must be forgiven in Jesus. And here's here's the beauty of the gospel. And I pray you would know this, that you can't send yourself out of the possibility of forgiveness. You can't. Now, the enemy will, will try to convince you of that. The enemy will come in and say, man, you know, Jesus saves, but... Not, not you, because you went too far. And the beauty of the gospel, and this is what we're seeing, that because Jesus is, Jesus is offering forgiveness to both. No matter the amount of the debt, you can find forgiveness in Jesus. So you can't send yourself out of the possibility of forgiveness. You come to the table. 
and you see Jesus clearly. We can start wrapping this up, Swan. We got two more verses, or three more verses. Verse 48, And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then to those who were at the table with him, they began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's a lot we can unpack in these three verses, but I, j- I just want to unpack two things that Jesus says here. And I think they're so helpful. Because he looks at the woman and he says, he says these two things. He goes, he goes, your sins are forgiven. And now we know that the crowd says, who is this guy? That he could say that. Who is this guy that, that he would have the... the um, he would take what belongs to God and give it away so freely. Now, Jesus can say this because He is the Savior who takes the punishment for all of our sins. All the big ones, all the small ones, no, no matter how we try to label in our eyes all the sins that are past and, and future or the ones that are known, the ones that are unknown. He, he does this when He carries, when He was crucified on the cross. That on the cross, God the Father punished all our sin by punishing Jesus who took our place. We never graduate. You never graduate from that. Because it's the spring through which all of our celebrations come from. That when God raised His Son from the grave three days later, He proved that Jesus' sacrifice was acceptable. And we, even if we are the biggest of sinners, okay? Even if we are the biggest of sinners, that we can be righteous in God's sight by faith in God's Son. So He looks at her and He says, Your sins are forgiven. Again, she hadn't said anything. She didn't open her mouth. She didn't want to come in and be like, hey, Jesus, I kind of like what you're doing on the street, you know. Thought this could help. All she did was bring herself to the table. And then as the crowd looks and they said, who is this guy? He sees her. He looks at her. Continues to look at her. And he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now that's important. Because what it does is it, is it breaks us from this thought of it, how is she saved? Because someone would want to make the argument, well, she brought something very expensive to Jesus and he accepted it. So therefore, we must be able to bring something to make ourselves worthy. And that's not the case because Jesus specifically says this to her. Your faith has saved you. So this woman, again, We don't know much about her because she isn't the focus, right? Jesus is. But we know she was rich enough to afford an expensive perfume. But but the one thing she doesn't have is the only thing Jesus could provide. Peace. She didn't have it. 
Only Christ can bring peace to the heart of a human being. And so, so as we talk about how do we respond to this, to where this isn't just story time, right? How do we wear these words? We come in and we just ask that question. Do you know peace? Or are you experiencing conflict within yourself and with other people and with God? Paul will write, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. That the peace, peace, the peace which we have with God comes to us once we come to the cross. And for us, the cross is the table that Jesus reclined at. What it is. She walks into a room, he's at the table. And for us, that table's the cross. That we come and and once we come to the cross, it's not a guarded truce where, where our next offense will cause God to rattle his sword against us again. No, it's it's a place where we find peace, and it's a peace that passes our understanding. And it's, it's us being able to walk up to the table and say, you're so good. It's a peace where our tears of both sorrow and joy make sense. So our question today is, do you know peace? And I think there's some who will say, I've never known peace. And we would encourage you today to let this be your day of awakening. And then there's others of us who say, I've, I have known peace, but I have forgotten that I can lean into that peace. I've forgotten that I can lean into the power of Jesus. I've forgotten I can lean into the promises of God. I've been trying to do this on my own. And then along the way, I've... I've I've stumbled and I've fallen and, and I have guilt that is rising up and I'm telling you, you can come to the table. You can. I love this scene because I'm, I'm exposed in, in so many different ways because I find myself at times as the Pharisee and I find myself at times as the woman. And what I love is Jesus is willing to engage us both. So our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Very good. Very good. As we wrap up, I'll make a couple things available. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. There'll be some people on this side. If you have questions about Jesus, we love asking questions and we love answering questions about Jesus around here. We believe He is our way to peace. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father. We thank you for your love. We thank you that, that there's so many of us here that, that our story is, is simply what you have done. And I pray that that would be the proclamation of our lives. That Jesus is the Savior to the biggest sinners. So, Father, I pray for us that, that we would not have the eyes of the Pharisees where, where, where we, we evaluate people's worth based on the, the worst things that they have done, but that we would see people through the lens of the gospel. 
and that when you bring someone home, we would be the loudest cheerleaders. Father, I thank you of who you are making us into when it comes to your son. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Was the cross before me? Then I saved your carry.